Welcome to my second podcast. We will again be featuring Ray Fragon, and he will be doing a 30-minute segment of his Daniel chapter 2 meeting. This subject covers the longest Bible prophecy found in the scriptures, covering world events from the time of ancient Babylon to the Medes and the Persians, then Greece with Alexander the Great, and the longest empire to reign as a world government. This empire was ruling the world at the time Jesus Christ was born and throughout his ministry. This is the same empire that crucified Christ. We know this empire is Rome. History shows that most of this prophecy has been fulfilled to the letter. There's only the last part of the prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. What's so exciting about this presentation is that today, in our time, there's lots of talk and excitement about a new world order. This prophecy tells you how this new world order will come into being. Don't miss it. Perhaps this is one of the most important lectures you will ever hear. Now let's join Ray Fragon's History's Climax Prophecy Seminar on Daniel Chapter 2. Again, we welcome you to History's Climax Prophecy Seminar. The second chapter of Daniel opens up in this way. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. And so they came and stood before the king. These are all the bright folks in Babylon at this time. I want you to think about something. Think about society where we are now. Think about what God is saying here. Magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, Chaldeans. They were the astronomers and the scientists of their day. Magicians. I dare say, beloved, as you look about you and you see that not every chair is filled here, I would like to be so bold as to say that if my name was David Copperfield or any of these other well-known magicians in this world, and I had a live television program tonight where I was going to make the Statue of Liberty disappear or a huge Learjet disappear on live television or an elephant disappear or something, oh man, you'll get millions of people who are interested in what magicians can do rather than what the Word of God says. It's no different than it was way back then. The astrologers, I don't think it would be a challenged point for me to say that there are far more people in the United States of America and around the world that look at their astrology chart in the morning newspaper than consult the Word of God to see what the Lord wants of them for each day. No different than it was in Daniel's day. Sorcerers. The word in both the Hebrew and the Greek Especially in the Greek, when you see the word sorcerer, it's pharmakosia. It's where the word pharmacy comes from. The use of drugs, either to cure disease or to go into hallucinogenic mode of life. Well, we have all kinds of sorcerers today as well. Epidemically proportioned. And then the astronomers, the scientists. There are people who would far more trust to what a scientist will tell them rather than what the Word of God says. People put far more trust. You don't mind. It's warm. I know you don't mind. People put far more trust into scientists, sorcerers, magicians, astrologers. And they're doing the Word of God. No different. Nothing new under the sun. So we read, The king said unto these men, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. 
And then spoke the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. You will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof. You shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Well, this is a sticky situation. You know, these are supposed to be the brightest guys in the whole realm. I had a dream, gentlemen. I can't remember the dream. I would like to know the dream and the interpretation of that dream because I know that was an important dream. So I want you to tell me. They say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no, I just got through telling you. I don't remember the dream. And I don't want any funny business from you folks. <coughs> you know, monarchs that sit on thrones of solid gold, uh, they, don't, they don't think too much about human beings around them. And so he says, if you don't tell me what's going on, I'm just going to kill you. It's that simple. You're not going to play games with my head. They answered and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain time. You're trying to buy some time, gentlemen, aren't you? Because as you see, the thing is gone from me. So you figure you stole me off long enough, and I'll say, forget it. Go your way. I'm not going to bother with this anymore. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is one, but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. I don't want, you tell me the dream, and then I'll know you can tell me the interpretation. Now, you know, there's some wisdom in this, and we're talking about wisdom here. If you're going to go to sorcerers, and if you're going to go to astrologers, and you're going to go to scientists, you're going to go to the magicians of this age, to find out what you should do in life, you will be sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed. Most folks like myself, you know, we have to find out the hard day. We play with our Ouija boards. We wonder what's going on when that little disc moves around that board. You're pushing it, right? I'm not pushing it. You're pushing it. I'm not pushing it. Well, how is it spelling out these words? So, uh -huh. so some people are just too intelligent to believe in demonic powers. Evil those are the things that we're going to trust in to try and get some knowledge and oh, direction out of life. The devil's just going to tank roll right over us. He does it to humanity all over the world. And so we go on where it says, The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There's not a man on the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things that any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. This is ridiculous what you're asking us. And it is a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with men, with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Daniel, taken captive, brought into the realms of the king. One of the princes from the tribe of Judah, we're going to turn this young man and all these other young men from the tribe of Judah that we've taken here, we're going to turn them into sorcerers and astrologers and magicians and Chaldeans. We're going to turn them into men that we can utilize in our Babylonian kingdom here. 
And so Daniel, now being in the training system, the brainwashing system, as it were, of the Babylonian Empire, they're going after him too. He's numbered with all the rest. Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. There it is. To Antioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was going forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation thereof. Now think about this point right here. You see how God works, the God of heaven? These men tried to stand there and say, give us some time. Tell us the interpretation. And the king says, you're trying to buy some time. I won't hear of it. Daniel goes in and says, give me some time. I'll give you the information that you need. What makes the difference? The impress of the Holy Spirit on a human mind. And God has a thousand ways of opening up doors. When, when time, when things around your life seem the worst that they can possibly get around you, God has a thousand ways to open up doors that are seemingly shut to others. God takes He's going to take care of Daniel. Daniel gets the time he needs. He goes in with his friends. Notice. Daniel went in, desired of the king that he would give him time in verse 16, and that he would show the king the interpretation. And Daniel went to his house, made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, all teenagers, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. I don't think anything more foundational could be said. If you want an answer, folks, go to God. Go to the living God if you want an answer for something in life. The Ouija boards and the astrology and the phrenology and tea leaves and all these things that people so easily trust in. Fascinating, mind you. They will pull up short at the end. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast made me who has given wisdom and might, and has made known unto me what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Ah, so God shows it to Daniel. And therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Well, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Now, here you have a monarch sitting in a tremendous throne room. We'll talk about this a little bit. And in walks a 17-year-old teenager. And this grand monarch looks at this teenager and he says, king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, gave a new name. Are you able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? 
can you do this? You know, there's a lot of other folks around here that I've asked, wisest men that I have around here, and they can't, can you do this? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and soothsayers show unto the king? But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. One of the more common points of Bible prophecy to talk about the times that you and I now live in, the latter days. Principle of prophetic interpretation and the apocalyptic visions of Daniel Revelation, that generally they begin in the day of the prophet, when he receives the vision, and then they begin a grand panoramic scene of time. Watch how this works out. Possibly many of you are familiar with this, but for those of you who aren't, First time I came in contact with, with this, I was shaken. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. So as for thee, O king, the thoughts, <coughs> thy thoughts came into your mind upon your bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that reveals secrets makes known to you what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that you might know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, saw, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. You saw till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image on his feet were of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. And then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away. That no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The king has this dream. Faint replica, I will admit, but to give you an idea. He sees an image that has a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet mixed with iron and clay, and then a stone that's cut out of a mountain without hands, strikes the image down, grinds it to powder, the wind carries it away, and this stone becomes a whole mountain filling up the earth. That's the symbolism that is used. The interpretation thereof is simply as follows. This is the dream, verse 36, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven has he given into thine hand, and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. We will take the position that at this time, the gold represents... The kingdom of Babylon, 
From 605 to 539 BC, challenging things then happened to the kingdom of Babylon. The head representing the nation of Babylon, the gold, fitting image. Turn to the fourth chapter, if you would, of Daniel. This is the story of Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Wonderful story. <coughs> and in the fourth chapter, Daniel tries to tell the king, look, God is the one who rules and he sets up people. In the third chapter, we read of an image of gold that we'll get to later on. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like this idea that silver and brass and iron come after him. He makes a whole image of gold in the third chapter. He says to himself what makes the most sense to him. Look there in verse 28 of chapter 4. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spoke and said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? For the honor of my majesty? I built this kingdom. About 11 square miles are what the archaeological excavations show. Inner walls and outer walls. The inner walls were so wide they had chariot races on the top. The entire circumference of the city. Kingdom of Babylon, the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar was married to someone from the Mediterranean area. As history and legend and cuneiform tablets show. Missed the vegetation of the Mediterranean and as you can see today, the Babylon, you know, it's just all barren out there. Persian Gulf War, and you see what's out there. Not a lot but rock and sand. Nebuchadnezzar transported an entire forest from the Mediterranean, irrigated it from the Euphrates River, and the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were there. He's a genius, this man, son of Nebo Pelasar. Genius. You know, in Babylon, they had this thing called the water clock. Scientists that now understand astronomy as they now understand the rotation of the earth and everything. The Babylonians had a water clock. And with that water clock, one drip of water at a time, they came to an estimation that it took one year, revolution of the earth, and scientists found out that they were approximately about 15 hours, 26 minutes, and a number of seconds shy from what science now says today is the accuracy of a full year. You know, we often think of the ancients as people running around with fur coats on, don't know what's going on. Well, these folks are genius. There are many of them that were tremendous minds. The throne room of Nebuchadnezzar, covered with 11 tons of gold main throne room, 53 temples, hundreds of shrines all throughout the area, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I built all this, and Daniel says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, God's given you all this, you're the head of gold, but it doesn't stop there, back if you would please to the second chapter, we hasten on a pace here. Because in verse 39, Daniel says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So another kingdom is going to arise. That nation did arise. 
even in Daniel's day. If you look at the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. Fifth chapter of the book of Daniel. We will look at this chapter later on in the seminar as well. How many of you have ever heard the term, the handwriting's on the wall, man? The handwriting is on the wall. Well, that's this is where it comes from. It comes from the book of Daniel. They have this big drunken orgy there in the days of Belshazzar, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And this hand appears on the wall, a mysterious hand, and writes something on the wall. And everybody just freezes in their tracks. So much so the Bible says that Belshazzar's knees were shaking. So scared. Daniel's a much older man now. King's mother says there is somebody who can interpret this and tell you what this is all about. Daniel is brought in. He gives the interpretation of what the writing on the wall is. The end of the chapter, verse 25. This is the writing that was written. Mine, mine, tikel yufarsun. And this is the interpretation of the thing. Mine, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. It's a term of doom in the Bible. It's come to an end for the nation of Babylon. Perez, which is a plural of yufarsun. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then commanded Belshazzar, you know, he's drunk, he thinks it's great. They clothed Daniel with scarlet. They put a chain of gold about his neck and made him a proclamation concerning him that he should be a third ruler in the kingdom. Well, this is great. All right, back to the party. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Midian took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. The chest, the arms of silver, the next nation to come, the Medo-Persian Empire. But then in 331... Another historical change takes place. Back to chapter 2. We know it today is the Persian Empire. Because after a while, the influence of the Persians, their religion, their science, their government, just began to overtake and over-influence the influence of the Medes. And after a while, we know it now as the Persian Empire. You are in verse 39, and we see. After thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. So now we've got brass. Turn to chapter 8. The Bible will tell you right within its pages as to what's being talked about here. The 8th chapter of Daniel. <coughs> By the Uli River, excuse me, Daniel has a dream, vision. He sees a ram and a he-goat. And they come against each other and they do battle. And in this battle, the he-goat wins out. Oh, it strikes down the strikes down the ram, does away with it. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice in verse 3, Then I lifted up my eyes and I saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. The two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. When he talks about the goat, I'll drop you down. Oh, let's see, to verse 5, where it says, As I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And man, he strikes that ram, and it's all over. The angel tells Daniel what he sees. The history could not be any more accurate. Verse 20, the angel says, in the interpretation, we're going to come back to this chapter later on, the interpretation the angel gives to Daniel, he says, The ram which you saw having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. 
One horn is higher, comes up last because the Persian Empire overtakes the influence of the Medes, just like history shows. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. The great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The great king, the most influential king known at this time, Alexander the Great. School children would know their little bit of history. They would know that. Belly and thighs of brass, Greece. How interesting it is that archaeological excavations have shown that the armor that Grecian warriors used to use was almost exclusively brass. And indeed, a brass or a mixture of brass and bronze. And indeed, it is a fitting symbol that God would give the nation of Greece, the next one to come. We've got a fourth one, legs of iron. Back to chapter 2, please. Chapter 2. Fourth kingdom, verse 40. Shall be as strong as iron. For as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, and as iron that breaks all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. You'll notice the date 168. Not too much time before the coming of our Lord, because another power came into being. Uh, if you are an emperor, and you tax the whole world, as in the days of Jesus, I guess that would make you a ruler of the entire then known world. And indeed, as the historian Gibbon says, the iron monarchy of Rome, the day of the Caesars, the days of a Caesar Augustus, a decree went forth that all the world should be taxed in Luke chapter 1. From 168, B.C. to 476 A.D. One of the most powerful of all empires existed. The Empire of Rome. But we still have a change. Notice please. Verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron. The kingdom shall be divided. How many of you please have ever heard of the fall of the Roman Empire? Have you ever heard of that? There is no such thing in the Bible. In the Bible it is called the division of the Roman Empire. This iron power would be divided. It doesn't say it would fall, it says it would be divided. Oh, what an important prophetic point. It says it would be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. The influence of Rome would somehow still exist. For as much as you saw the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. You will notice, please, the barbaric tribes that began to chip away at the Roman Empire, the Alamannites in Germany, the Visigoths in Spain, the Franks, settling in what's now France. The Suevi in Portugal. The Burgundians, now Switzerland. The Anglo-Saxons, of course, England. The Lombards in Italy. There were three other barbaric tribes. I photocopied this from an old book about 100 years old. Called Empires of Prophecy by an interesting gentleman. A sergeant in the Union Army that became a Christian by the name of Alonzo Trevier Jones. A real interesting personage of the 1800s. And in his book, he has the division of the Roman Empire. You will notice the Ostrogoths, north of where the Heruli are, 
and the Vandals, North Africa. But today, search as you might, you will not find any national heritage anywhere on earth for the Vandals, the Heruli, and the Ostrogoths. If you go to home and you do a little bit of encyclopedic investigation, you're going to find out some keys to the identifying of Antichrist in chapter 7, where three of ten horns are plucked up by the roots and no longer have any national posterity on the earth. We start out with this tonight. Here the powers are, the Ostrogoths were removed finally in 538 A.D., destroyed. Harry alive vandals before this, where we get the term vandalism, because of the way these barbaric tribes, especially the vandals, acted. These nations that now make up the major nations of Europe, we are living in a day and age, beloved, where there are an awful lot of preachers, talking an awful lot about communism in Russia, Great Red Bear. How much of a threat is communist Russia? I've been preaching for 10 years. Communist Russia is no threat. That there are powers that are far more earnest for us to be wary of than communist Russia. That communist Russia would come to its end and there are other preachers that believe the same thing that are preaching this in different places around the world. You know, they do these seminars like this, same kind of information that you're going to receive in the next month. They do this in Africa. 6,000 people sit on hillsides to hear this. Do it in South America. 10,000 people sit on a hillside to hear this. United States of America, people are sort of gospel-hardened, you know. They're just so busy with their lives. Turnout is, is nowhere near the same. But that doesn't change the fact that there have been those that have been saying communist Russia is not the problem. There's a bigger one than that. And the reason that we have taken this position is as such. In verse 43, a promise given by God, whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they, these barbaric tribes, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, just as iron and clay don't mix. God says the empire of Rome would be divided. Oh yes, men would come along like Charlemagne, king of the Franks, Louis XIV, Napoleon especially, Kaiser Wilhelm, Hitler, trying to reunite Europe, have a one world power again. God said, they shall not cleave one to another, no matter how many princes you marry off to princesses, no matter how many kings marry queens, and you try to put all these nations together again, it's not going to happen. And lo and behold, liberal communist Russia is today, in just the last couple of years. God knows, man. God has told the end from the beginning the things that would come to pass in the latter days. They shall not cleave one to another, because iron and clay don't mix. And in the days of these kings, a stone would come, cut out of a mountain without any hands. Man has nothing to do with this, mountain being symbolic of a kingdom in the Bible. The Lord's going to set up His kingdom. The Lord Jesus is going to come in the days of these kings, in the days of a divided Europe, in the days when men will be trying 
to bring the whole thing together. But God said, they shall not cleave one to another. It would not happen. It has not happened. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. For as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Couldn't be any more sure, beloved. Couldn't be any more sure. God has told us well ahead of time. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the marshalling of the nations. Here's my paintbrush putting in panoramic vision for you to see. Beloved, we're at the end of this earth's history. We're in a time in the dividing of these nations. So much energy is being put forth now to group things together. The Bible says it will not be done. Now, beloved, oh, and Daniel's honored. Look what it says here. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. Can you imagine this great monarch sitting on the edge of the seat, gripping the arms of his throne? And by the time the interpretation is given to him, he drops to his knees before this 17-year-old. And he says, commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Man, why did I waste my teen years? You know, this is a story about a teenager. Now you ask yourselves this evening, how hard the powers of evil work against the youth of this world. If it was tough to be a teenager 50 years ago, it's 100 times tougher to be a teenager now. But God says, I've got a direction and a purpose and a meaning to life for everybody, including the teens that are like, don't know what to do with life. Religion has let us down. Politics has let us down. Science is not helping. The medical community can't deal with it. And so they sign suicide packs and they say, if you kill yourself, I'll do it too. They don't know what to do. Perhaps there's someone here who's lost a loved one to suicide. It's becoming very common, friends. Oh, it's an agitated and painful world. Thank you for listening to History's Climax Prophecy Seminar with Evangelist Ray Fragon. If you would like to support our ministry, you can write to us at History's Climax Prophecy Seminar, P.O. Box 1396, Auburn, A-U-B-U-R-N, Auburn, Maine, 04211. Or if you'd like to contact me, email me at johngray.realestate at gmail.com. We'd be happy to respond to you if you are interested in any of our materials or would like to make comments. Please feel free to contact us.